Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Romans is one of those books. I said it on Sunday. You know, if, if the book of Romans is the special book in all of the Bible, right? All of the theology that we find in it, all of the truth, all of the encouragement that we, it seems like it's just jam-packed with doctrine. If, if Romans is one of those special books, then chapter 8 in the book of Romans is one of those special chapters. Such an encouraging chapter. It begins with, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Uh, we don't have to worry about our past at all. Uh, in the middle, dealing presently, all the things that we're going through, he's working all things together for good, for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Our, our present situation, boy, we can have encouragement in that, even if it's a difficult situation. And then Romans chapter 8 ends with the reality that there's nothing we can, that can separate us from God's love, that he's going to see us through in the future. Our past condemnation done away with. Currently, our present situation, whatever we're going through, he's working it together for good. And the future, boy, nothing can separate it from God. He's going to see us through to heaven. If you're dealing with difficulty, boy, at all, in any shape, way, or form, Romans chapter 8 is such an encouraging chapter for us to, 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 to study through. And, you know, this morning, or not this morning, the famous pastor thing. You ever notice when you go to church sometimes, you tell people good morning? Uh, no, this evening, as we look at this idea, you know, this truth, that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What a freeing truth that is. What a weight that has been lifted uh, really just off of our backs and off of our shoulders. Uh, when I was uh, a kiddo in, in elementary school, really my whole entire student life, I was the worst student ever. I just got to be honest with you guys. I was a terrible student. If you looked up in the dictionary, disorganized procrastinator, you would see there my, my red-headed, freckle-faced self smiling right back at you. I was the worst student. I was so unorganized. I was always procrastinating. And every single school year, I said, boy, it's going to be different this year. This year is going to be different. Boy, I'm going to stay on top of things. Uh, I'm going to get my assignments turned on in on time. And every single year, it was the same exact thing. Boy, as the year went on, my backpack got fuller and fuller of just assignments crammed in there. And pretty soon, there was just burden on my back. Not just all the schoolwork that I was carrying around that I hadn't completed, but just this burden of not having done the things that I know that I need to get done. And with that burden, boy, it was just rough. But every single school year, something amazing would happen. The semester would end. And when the semester ended, oh, it was so glorious. The weight was lifted. It didn't matter what happened last semester because it was just like last semester never even happened. It was gone. The weight was lifted. We have a fresh start. And for the first five chapters in the book of Romans, Paul has been kind of uh, really thoroughly discussing and teaching us that concept of justification. That our sins, they've been dealt with. And we've been justified just as though we have never sinned at all. And what a freeing thing that is. What a weight that is. And because we've been justified, there's no condemnation. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but Paul starts uh, Romans by really 
beating into our heads this reality. Man, you have been justified. It's a free gift. It's not something that you can earn, that your sins have been dealt with once and for all because of the cross. You're free. You're justified. And then as we moved past chapter 5 into chapter 6, 7, and tonight 8, we moved past justification into sanctification. That process whereby we are maturing in the Lord, where we're growing spiritually in the Lord. And in chapter 6, Paul discussed with us, he shared with us, he showed us that we are free from sin. We're free from the old man. We're free from the license to sin. We're free from the trap of liberty. We don't have to serve the old nature. No, we've been born again. We're free from our carnal nature, the old man. All things have become new. The old has passed away. In chapter 7, Paul shared with us how we're free from the law. We're no longer bound to legalism. Boy, we have to do this. We have to do that. We have to do the other or else. We're set free from all that. We don't have to do anything. We get to serve the Lord. We get to walk in obedience. And now in chapter 8, after showing us that we're free from uh, the old man, showing us that we're free from the bondage of the law, both extremes, liberty on one side, uh, legalism on the other. Now he says, how are we to walk then? Well, you're free to live this new life in the Spirit. And that is really the turn that chapter 8 takes. He really contrasts a lot, and we're going to look at that tonight, really kind of the life lived out in the carnal nature, which leads to death. But we've been set free from that. We're free to just live this life that's been empowered by the Spirit. How do we live free from our old self? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we live free from the law? By the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at this amazing thing where we are really freed up to just live this Spirit-filled life. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we dive in. And so we'll start in verse 1. We're just going to the beginning. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. So we're free from the guilt. We're free from the burden of guilt. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That, that burden that I talked about. Uh, you know, have, have you guys ever read uh, Pilgrim's Progress? You know, a little Christian. He's got that burden. You know, he, just the same burden that little Jeremy had. Or, or, or little Casey. Or, or little Fred. Or, or little whoever. We all had this burden that we were packing around. We've been set free. That burden of condemnation, our sin, it's been lifted from us. Uh, we're no longer guilty. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he was talking to the woman who was caught in adultery. You guys remember that story in, in John. Where there's a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And, you know, all of these men brought her before Jesus, trying to trap Jesus, saying, Jesus, what are you going to do with this one? Right? For if he condemned her to be stoned to death, which was the law, then he would no longer be a, a friend of sinners. But if he let her go, then he would be going against the law of Moses, and, and they could trap him. And so they bring this woman before Jesus and say, well, what are you going to do with her? And you remember what he, he, he said to her? 
after he, he put all of the accusers to shame by showing them that they had sin in their own lives and they were in no position to throw stones at her, he said, where are your accusers? Are, are there none who condemn you? Nobody, nobody's left to condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And he wasn't like, you better not do this ever again or you're going to be. I don't think it was a go and sin. I think it was like, you're free from sin. You're free to go and sin no more. There's no condemnation. There's nobody there to point the finger anymore. And, and we experienced that same freedom that she did. Uh, we are free from the guilt. We are free from the condemnation of our sin. And, and Paul starts this out by saying, uh, therefore, you are there, there's therefore now no condemnation. Paul is going back, this idea that there's no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Well, he, he's referring to the previous seven chapters where he's laid out for us why there is no condemnation. Uh, really, chapter 6, and we'll get into this uh, as we make our way uh, through this chapter. But there's no condemnation. That guilt is, is gone. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, what a wonderful promise that is to hold on to. And, and here's the thing. Uh, you know, we have a, a very real enemy who loves to bog us down with condemnation. He loves to say, boy, you're not good enough. God is mad at you. Uh, you know, you've gone too far this time. Uh, but, but that's not God. That's the enemy. And when we have messed up, when we've done something, boy, the enemy really takes advantage of that. And so there's a very clear way. Am I being convicted by the Holy Spirit to, to, to change, or am I being condemned by Satan? Condemnation drives us away from Jesus. Conviction draws us closer to Jesus. So there's no condemnation. Uh, God loves you, and we're going to talk about why. But there's no condemnation for who? Right? As we've gone through the book of Romans, man, all of these wonderful promises... But these promises, as we've discussed previously, man, they're not just blanket promises for the world to grab a hold of. The world can't grab a hold of, of Romans 8.1 and say, yeah, there's no condemnation for me. This is an exclusive promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Right? Paul qualified that before he started chapter 8. He qualified that for us in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. In chapter 6, when he was talking about the reality that we're free from the old man, we're free from sin, why is it that we were free from sin? Because we're dead to sin, and dead people aren't tempted to sin. How is it that we were dead to sin? Because we have been baptized into Jesus. We were baptized into his death and his burial. Not that we would be left there, but that we would be raised into newness of life. Uh, chapter 7, as Paul was talking about our freedom from the law, he says you're no longer bound to the law. And he used the illustration of marriage. We're free from the law, and now we're free to marry another. We're now married to the Lord. We're free from the old man. We're free from the law. Uh, we've been uh, crucified with Christ, buried and resurrected with him. We are joined to Jesus, is what Paul has really been making that case for a couple chapters. We're bound to the Lord now. We're no longer separate, but we're bound to him. We are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, think about Jesus' life, and we'll talk about this in a little bit too. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. 
if we are in him and there's nothing to condemn him for, us being joined to him, there's nothing to condemn us for. And isn't that cool? It's not because I did anything special. It's not because I was good enough or stayed straight enough or clean enough or whatever you want to say. It's because I am found in Christ that there is now no condemnation. And to be in Christ, it's cool. It's illustrated for us in the story of Noah and the ark. Think about the story of Noah and the ark. When the condemnation came down, when the judgment came down, where was Noah? Noah was safely in the ark. You know, the Lord did not give Noah a spot on the ark out there on the bow. Didn't give him some footholds and some handholds that when the waves are crashing over, like, no, you'll be all right as long as you hang on. No, God said when the judgment is coming down, you're going to be in the ark. You're going to be safe and secure. And that's us. We are in Jesus. We are in the Lord. When judgment comes, he took the judgment for us. He took the brunt of the storm of judgment and condemnation. It's not a matter of us trying. It's not a matter of us holding on. It's not a matter of us doing anything. We are in Christ. And that is why there is no condemnation. And what a comforting reality that is. It's like it says in Isaiah that we are robed in his righteousness. We're just completely covered up. So that when the Lord looks down upon your life and my life, he doesn't see my faults and flaws and failures. We'll talk about that on Sunday when we talk about the reality that we are glorified in Jesus. But he doesn't see uh, our fault. He, he, he sees us in a, our glorified, in our finished state. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see our issues. It's, you know, I, I was talking probably a couple of weeks ago now about the, the forbidden cookies that I ate. Well, you know, I was trying not to eat the cookies and I horked down a bunch of, you know, snickerdoodles. And, you know, the snickerdoodles, you know, they're in me. Once I ate them, you couldn't see them anymore. They're those sinful little, little snickerdoodles. Snickerdoodle, you know, they're tempting me away and snickerdoodles, I can say it. There they were, but once they went in my body, you can, all you could see was me. And that's the same thing. We are in Jesus. And God the Father doesn't see our faults and failures. He sees the glory and the wonder of the Lord. And so how is it that we are in Christ? How did this happen? So there's no condemnation. Man, what good news. We don't have to walk around with this burden. We don't have to walk around with this guilt and with this shame because we're free from all that. There's no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. And by the way, real quickly, before we move on, you might be, hey, you, you missed a part of that verse where it says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That do, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit, it's not in the earliest manuscripts. So uh, most uh, Bible commentators believe it was either uh, put there for some sort of clarification uh, later as they were copying, or maybe that it was a mistake. It doesn't really change the text. We'll, we'll cover that later. But just so you know, uh, that's why I, I passed that over. Uh, but how is it that we are in Christ Jesus? And Paul goes on uh, to, to talk about uh, these two laws, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Uh, the law of spirit of life in Jesus versus the law of sin and death. One trumps over the other. See, previously, before I was saved, I was bound to the law of sin and death. Right? The law was given. Uh, we have God's word written on our hearts. We have the, the written word given to us, the Ten Commandments. 
And we couldn't keep them. Every single we've talked about that, how the law is this unattainable thing. We cannot keep the law. But because we broke the law, and because the wages of sin is death, boy, we were bound to the law of sin and death. Every single person born into the world, and we've talked a lot about this, that because by one man sin entered into the world through Adam, through his disobedience, and we're all born into sin. And our propensity to sin, the, the result of sin, death, they're all very apparent. And it's interesting, you know, David Guzik is a, a really cool Bible commentator that I, I love. He, he pulls from a lot of the, the old guys, um, Spurgeon and, and Clark and the rest. But he says that the law of, uh, that every sin that we commit and every cemetery we drive by proves the law of sin and death. And I like that. The fact that we sin, the fact that we see people die, that's the law of sin and death that we are tied to. That was previously, though. See, there's a law that trumps the law of sin and death, and that is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus. See, before we, we knew Jesus, we were spiritually dead. Uh, we, were, we, we couldn't discern the things of the spirit. We could only understand the things uh, of the natural man. But now... Uh, we're no longer in that place to where we're bound to our carnal nature. Now we're in this place to where we have been born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was that Pharisee. He was uh, one who kept the law, one who was all about uh, the law. And, and he came to Jesus by cover of night, probably because he was afraid what his Pharisaical friends would think of him if he was caught talking to Jesus in the day. But he went to Jesus and, and, and he said, Jesus, I, I know that you are a great teacher. I know there's something going on with you because, uh, you know, no man can do what you do outside the power of God. But Jesus cut right to the heart of the issue and said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. This man who was striving to find spirituality through the law and through legalism, he said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Uh, only the spirit of the living God can take our lives that, that are really dead, that are dry bones, and breathe life into them and make us spiritually alive. And that's what happened when we put our, our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus. We were born again uh, when we believed that Jesus died on the cross in our place, when we believed that he uh, was buried and three days later rose from the grave. That, that transaction that took place where my sin was transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred. We were born again. Something happened. Our sins weren't just forgiven. We were brought to life spiritually. And, and that is the, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus. We've been born again because of what Jesus did. Paul goes on uh, to talk about this. He, he continues on in this same vein of thinking. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law, nor indeed can it be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul, 
he, he discusses how it is that this law of the spirit of life of Jesus trumps the spirit of law of sin and death. How is it that it came into our life? Because of what Jesus did. See, the, the law, Paul says, it, it couldn't save us. The law was because of our flesh weak, because we couldn't keep the law. The, the, the law, it, it was a failure. Not because the law was bad, because we couldn't keep it. Right? The law could not empower us to obey the law. The law could not save us. The law didn't do anything for us except for show us our need for a Savior. And we can say over and over and over again, well, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. Whatever it is, you, you, you can fill in the blank with your own situation, whether it's something that you've really been trying to do that you know you ought to do, or if it's something that you've been trying not to do that you know you ought not be doing, we can say, boy, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. And guess what? There's no power in the law to help you to please God. There's no power in the law to help you to not sin. The only thing that the law can do is to show us the hard reality that we need a Savior. That's it. There's no power in the law to save us. Uh, It's been said by somebody who I don't know who, or I would give them the credit. It says, Moses' law has right but not might. Sin's law has might but not right. The law of the Spirit has both right and might. See, it's by the power of the Spirit that that we are able to please the Lord. And, And the transaction of the cross made all of that possible. See, and that's what Paul goes on to say, that Jesus, he defeated sin. He defeated the carnal nature. He defeated sin by coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, condemning sin. That's what Jesus did. Uh, he, he was God. He was uh, on his throne in heaven. Boy, everything was fantastic. And he, he became a man. God with us. Emmanuel. God in, in, incarnate. And why did Jesus become a man? Because he had to deal with flesh and the curse of flesh according to the flesh. See, he conquered flesh in the flesh. And he conquered death by death. That was the way it had to be. See, God could not just wave a magic wand. Be like, well, you know what? Actually, uh, maybe I've been a little bit harsh on humanity. I love them. I want them to be saved. I'm going to extend forgiveness. Everybody's forgiven. And just kind of, God can't do that. Because you guys know that the wages of sin is death. See, and if God is a righteous God, and he is, then that penalty must be paid. See, there's a debt that is owed that can't just be erased. It has to be paid for. And it was a debt that we couldn't. And so in order for that debt to be paid, Jesus became a man. He lived a perfect life. He satisfied the requirements of the law. See, we can't keep the law, but Jesus could. So he came on behalf of all humanity. He he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And then he paid the penalty for the law. Completely fulfilled in Jesus, so that we might be set free, right? Through Adam, through one man, sin entered, chapter 6 tells us. But through one man, Jesus, through his obedience, boy, life came. 
And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Uh, the penalty of sin was paid uh, in his body completely on the cross. Perfect justice, perfect mercy meet together there on the cross. And so because there, there's no condemnation because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're forgiven. We're in Christ. Uh, the, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus trumps the spirit of sin and death. So now we're free to live according to the spirit. And Paul now goes on to kind of contrast, well, what does it mean to live in the flesh versus living in the spirit? And that's what he talks about, uh, really beginning in, in verse 4. Uh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So uh, we are set free. We're born again. Uh, we're no longer bound to our carnal nature. But here's the reality. It, the old man is still kicking around, and we talked about that. He, he's been paralyzed. He no longer has power. But he's there, and if we want to walk according to the flesh, boy, we can, and it brings death. And so Paul, he kind of contrasts this. Uh, if you want to live according to the flesh, boy, you still can. Uh, and that's death. But to live according to the Spirit is, is life. The flesh is always there. It's always warring. It's always wanting. It's always tempting but you see, it has no power over us unless we want it to. And see, that's the thing. You know, Corinthians 10.13 tells us that we don't have to sin, but that we choose to sin. That every time we're confronted with a, a sin, a temptation, we have a choice. And we can't be tempted above that which we are able. God won't allow it. And with the temptation, he always gives us a way of escape. And so Paul is saying here, man, if you want to, Boy, you can, but it, it brings about death. Instead, we ought to uh, walk according to the Spirit, to, to chase after the things of the Spirit, to be spiritually minded. And what does it mean to be carnally minded or spiritually minded? Uh, what is it that you set your uh, attention on? What is it that you set your, your focus on? Uh, what is it that, that you are... Uh, Moving towards, right? well, what is the, the trajectory really of your life? Is it to, to seek and grow closer to the Lord or are you pursuing the things of, of this world? Uh, the things of this world as we pursue them, whatever they are, uh, you know, temptations, attitudes, when we give into the old man, those things bring about death. Uh, now, we're bound for heaven, we're bound for glory. If we're believers, but you can't mess up your salvation by caving to the old man. Do you know that? That's good that we understand that. But we can bring death to our lives. Say, wait a second, you're confusing me. If we're saved and we're bound for heaven, then, then how does being carnally minded bring death? Well, it brings death to our relationships. It brings death to our health, our physical life. It brings death to our ministries. 
It brings death to our careers. It brings death to our finances. If you are a carnally minded person and you are giving in, and see, that's the thing, is that every action begins with a thought. Right? The, the, the battlefield is in the mind. That's why we are to think on things that are good and holy and pure. That's why we are to take thoughts that are contrary to uh, God captive in the name of Jesus. Because when we entertain, that's what David did uh, on the rooftop when he saw Bathsheba. First, he entertained it before he sent for her. And it's that thought life that leads to it. To be carnally minded is, is death. But it's not just to give in to those things that we would consider sin. It's not just to give in to the temptation or the illustrious thing that we ought not do. It's also just being consumed with the things of this world. Uh, the things that we wear, the clothes, the, you know, the shoes, the things that we're going to eat. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. All of Matthew chapter 6, the whole section. You know, it's all about uh, being heavenly minded versus being carnally minded. Store up your treasures in heaven. And don't, don't, don't store up your treasures here. Uh, you can't serve two masters. You, can do, the, the, you can't serve money and God at the same time, that whole section talks about. Then it, uh, Jesus goes into talking about, seek ye first the kingdom. And Jesus says there in Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I say unto you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on it. Uh, is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And this, this is the part. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus, he contrasts there the carnal thinking, the carnal mind, being consumed with the things of this world to seek after what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and where we're going to go. And Jesus says, hey, don't seek after things. Seek after the kingdom and all the things I will provide for you. And so that's what it means to be carnally minded, is to be consumed with the carnal. To be spiritually minded, Paul goes on to say, is life and peace opposite to be consumed with the Spirit. What would the Lord have me to do to, to be connected with the Lord? And we'll talk more about this here in a minute uh, as we make our way a little bit further on. But to be carnally minded against God, rebellion to God, you cannot please God, it brings death. To be spiritually minded, to walk according to the Spirit, God's leading is life and peace. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So, Paul now, uh, he, he continues on 
uh, to talk about, uh, you know, that we are not in the flesh. Uh, you know, as Christians, we're not in the flesh. Uh, the flesh isn't our source of strength, but the spirit is the source of strength. And every single one of us who are Christians, who have been born again, we all have the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is a guarantee. That is a marker he's going to go on. We'll, we'll talk about uh, but when we are born again, God's Spirit dwells in us. God's Spirit leads us. God's Spirit directs us and teaches us. And here's the key, strengthens us. Remember I was talking about that reality that, that we don't please God within our own efforts. You can't muster up the strength. I'm going to be good. and I'm No, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, and every believer when they're born, uh, they are, are given the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul talks about, you know, if we're in Christ, the body is dead. Again, just making that reference. When we're in Christ, the old man is what? Dead. Why? Because he's been crucified with Jesus, buried with Jesus because of sin, but then resurrected, alive in Christ. We rose uh, with him into newness of life. So Paul, you know, is just really showing us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the same spirit that we are to look to his power. If you're wrestling something out, if you've got something going on in your life, don't make the mistake of trying to muscle through it in your own carnal. It, it won't work. Paul even said that, you know, having begun in the spirit, are you going to continue on in the flesh now? And we can make that mistake. Uh, it's going to be the Spirit that gives you the power to continue on. Uh, and Paul goes on to say, you know, we're to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So we're filled with the Spirit because that's where the power is. Uh, you know, there's this contrast that, that Paul makes there uh, in Ephesians 5.18. Uh, you know, alcohol is such a counterfeit. It, it, it really is. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? I, I don't know about you guys, but I remember back into the, you know, the house party days. And, and you know, there was such a sense of, of joy and peace and camaraderie that was there that was a total counterfeit. It, it, it really was. It, it was. it was a complete ripoff. There was no power there. There was nothing there. And, and so Paul says, man, we're to, to live according to the to the the Spirit. We've been regenerated, and we've been given the Spirit. Live and have victory uh, according to the Spirit. So how do we know that we have the Spirit? How do we know that we've been born again? How do we know that God's Spirit dwells in us? Well, has the Spirit led you to Jesus? That's a good place to start. All right, you can check that one off. Has the Spirit put you in you the desire to, to, to honor Jesus, to grow in Jesus, to be more like the Lord, to uh, work in your heart? It's important. Uh, we all have the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, man, that's the power we need to, to live by. Um, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So Paul says we're no longer debtors to the flesh. We owe the flesh nothing. You owe the flesh nothing. I owe the flesh nothing. But here's the thing. The flesh will try and convince you that you owe it everything. The flesh will try and convince us that I need to cave in. I need to indulge. I need to oblige. I need to pamper. But that's not so. That is not the case. We are to live according uh, to the Spirit because to live according to the flesh, Paul again, he says is death. And there's this constant reminder. And that's the thing. We can live according to the flesh if we desire. He's still there. But Paul reminds us, you can. Heaven is still your home. But man, you'll bring lots of death and heartache into your life. And it won't be uh, a good thing. It's very important for us to remember because, you know, sin is sneaky. Sin doesn't come packaged in disease and heartache and sorrow and death. Sin comes packaged in joy and peace and fulfillment. It comes all wrapped up in a shiny wrapper. You say, oh, this is going to be so great. And you know what? It is for a season. Sin is, sin is good. It's fun. It's enjoyable for a season. And then it shows its true colors. The carnal life is death. And Paul reminds us that because it's important that we're on our toes about that. Uh, sin never comes packaged as death. It comes packaged as life. And, and so then, how do we put to death the deeds of the body? Paul says that. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? It's not by striving. Again, it's not by resolving. It's not through any 12-step program. But we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we put to, to death the deeds of the body that we walk in the Spirit, it brings life. And uh, again, you know, we can look to the Old Testament and see how that plays out. Uh, there in 1 Samuel chapter 5, you guys remember the, the Israelites, they were going to battle, and they were not walking with the Lord. And they were like, man, we're undefeatable. The Lord promised us this land. And they used the Ark of the Covenant as like a good luck charm. And they sent the Ark of the Covenant out into battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant that would eventually give them hemorrhoids and they'd send it home with golden hemorrhoids as kind of a token to God. But before they got the hemorrhoids, before they sent it home, remember what they did? They took it back to their, their temple of Dagon, that fish god, and they set it up in, uh, in that temple, like, there at the, the feet of, of Dagon. And the next morning they came back to check on, to see how things were going, and the, the fish god Dagon was tipped over. Face down, they said, oh, that's kind of weird. Shoot. A breeze must have blown through and tipped that. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stand him back up. But the next morning, they came, and he was tipped over again. This time, his arms and his hands were, were broken off. Right? The, the statue was literally, literally bowing down to the ark. And I, I love that picture that is, is painted for us because Dagon was defeated. How? Dagon wasn't defeated. They didn't go in there and put ropes around the statue. They didn't, they didn't pray it down. They didn't, they didn't do anything. They simply brought the ark in. And what did the ark represent? The presence of God. If you want to defeat sin in your life, walk in the spirit. Walk in the presence of God in your life. And, and that's what defeats 
sin, how, how do we spend time with the Lord? How do we spend time in, in his presence? And just like what you're doing tonight, we study his word. We gather together in his name. We sing his praises and go on prayer walks or prayer runs or prayer drives or, or whatever you do. I cannot stress enough how profitable it is to just hit the pause button on your day and go for a walk with the Lord. Man, so much clarity, so much freedom, so much peace. Just because that presence of the Lord, man, it'll set your heart straight to just be in God's presence. And that's the key. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? Boy, by the presence of the Lord. Uh, and there's that old hymn I always make reference to, that the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now that's a hymn. And I want to stress that's a hymn because somebody quoted that to me the other day as scripture. So, oh no, it's like that scripture you always talk about. And that's not a scripture, that's just a hymn. So uh, know that, but it's true. Um, the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, man, he leads us to repentance, leads us uh, to a place where we desire less of us and more of Jesus. It, it really is a, a wonderful thing. And, and the Holy Spirit, man, it's how we defeat the deeds of the flesh the presence of the Lord, but it's also a guarantee of our sonship. Uh, in verse 14, Paul starts talking about this, this truth that we've been adopted into uh, the family of God. Uh, and that word sonship literally is uh, adoption. What's that mean? That means we are all sons and daughters of the Most High. Now, what does Paul say there? Let's, let's get it, keep us on track so that we know where we're going. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God, and if heirs, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him together. So we have been adopted into God's family, grafted into his vine. We belong to him. And as sons and daughters of God, the, the, the family that we were adopted out of, we're no longer bound to that family. We no longer have rights in that family. The old world, the old self, the sin nature, the law of sin and death. We've been adopted out of that and adopted into God's family. And, you know, the Romans would have understood this very clearly because in Roman law, uh, the, the standing that you would have had with your previous family, if you were adopted, that standing was gone. It was changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights to the old family, but gained all the new rights uh, to the new family. The old life was wiped out, and, and he was born again in that new family. So you see that theme. We're adopted in. The old life gone. We're born again, even as Paul would say. Uh, what a wonderful thing that is. And, and we weren't born in, into a spirit of bondage. We were rescued from the spirit of bondage. We were uh, adopted into this relationship with God, whereby we call him Abba Father. Now, there have been some, some, some kind of, I don't know what you, you want to call it, these sort of, it was a popular thing in church to really call God like Father Daddy for a while. Oh, Father Daddy, and because Abba Father, and, and, and that's literally what it means. It means Dad, Daddy. You know, if you call your dad, daddy, I can see where that would be a connection for me. It's kind of strange. But that's what Abba Father means. Abba means dad or papa or daddy. Uh, it is a, uh, it is a term of endearment. It carries with it the idea of relationship. 
it carries with it the idea of accessibility. And that's what we've been adopted into. We haven't been adopted into God's family as, you know, redheaded stepchildren. I can say that because I'm redheaded. No, we've been adopted, and God desires to spend time with us, to to give us access. You know, when Abram uh, wants to hang out with me, he says, Dad, Dad, hey, it's your day off. Man, what are we doing today? He just assumes that we're going to hang out. Are we building Legos? We playing Mario? Are we launching rockets? We travel. What are we doing? We're just going to, Abram doesn't, you know, phone my secretary and, you know, pencil in a time when we can have a conversation. He just gets to come to me and say, Dad, pour out his heart. And that's the idea that Paul is making. This family that we've been adopted into, boy, there's a closeness. There's an intimacy that we have. And it's by that spirit of God that dwells in us that we have the intimacy, but it's by that spirit that we know that we are his children. It's because of the Holy Spirit that we know that status. Now, does that mean that there is not going to be times in our life where we doubt that? I mean, we all have those times where we say, man, am I even saved? We've all wrestled out our salvation in that way. But at the end of the day, the witness still bears spirit with my spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. That I belong to God. At the end of the day, that, that is proved out. And if we are children, if we have been adopted in, then we're heirs. We're joint heirs with Jesus. See, uh, children, if you were adopted in, the natural children, along with the adopted children, they share the same inheritance. It would be the estate of the parents. right? Our inheritance that we inherit from God is heaven, is the riches found in a spiritual life, is, is, is glory. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 says, that Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Uh, we share with Jesus the riches of God's kingdom. Uh, what a wonderful thing that is. That we have been adopted into this family, and because we've been adopted into God's family, boy, we share the inheritance that Jesus has. But in every family, you know, there are privileges, and then there are responsibilities. There are things that come along with sonship and daughtership. And Paul begins to unpack this reality of, of suffering that we will deal with. Uh, And if children, heirs in Christ, uh, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even when we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly wait for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with the groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts 
know what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we've been adopted into the family of God. What a wonderful thing that is. Along with that comes the promise of the inheritance. But along with that comes uh, suffering, uh, that we share in the suffering uh, of Jesus. As God's children, we're not immune to trials. We're not immune to suffering. Jesus told us that that would be the case. In this life, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. See, here's the thing about suffering, is suffering leads to glory. We are following in Jesus's footsteps. Presently in this life, we suffer, but in the life to come, we'll be glorified with Jesus. And aren't you glad, by the way, that it says that we suffer with Jesus and that it says we, doesn't say that we, we suffer without Jesus? Right? That's a pretty good thing. That's a pretty amazing promise that we can hold on to. That in this life, there's going to be difficulty. We're going to go through suffering, but we will suffer with Jesus in the midst of our suffering. He is our rock. He is our salvation. He is the prince of peace, our refuge, our strength. What comfort it brings us in the midst of difficulty to be going through that difficulty with somebody who understands. Right? If any of you have ever suffered, what a comfort it is when someone comes alongside you and says, man, I've been there. I've experienced that. And when we suffer, we suffer with Jesus. Philippians 3 calls it the fellowship of suffering. And the suffering, like Paul says, leads to glory. We might be going through it here, but someday we'll be glorified, just like Jesus was glorified. And that future glory so outweighs our present suffering that it's not even comparable. That's what Paul says. They're not even in the same ballpark. The suffering that we're going through now doesn't even compare to the glory that is on the other side. That can't, I can hardly even imagine that. Nothing we can experience on earth even compares to the glory that we will experience in heaven. And Paul was no stranger to suffering. Remember, he, he gives us credentials there in Corinthians, shipwrecked and beaten and, and all the rest. And he says, none of this even compares to what we have to look forward to in heaven. And knowing that there is an expectation. See, there's this expectation as we go through this life there's an expectation of a time when things are going to be better. There's a longing that we have, each one of us, for a day when things are set right, when Jesus comes back and sets all things right. Paul says even all of creation moans, groans. All of creation is, oh, and you can feel it. You can sense it. it, it, it there's the sickness that lies on creation that even creation can't wait for it to be lifted. And someday that, that curse will be lifted. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no more disease or corruption or plagues or famine or drought or storms or earthquakes or hardship. Someday that will be lifted. And Isaiah 11 talks about what this will look like when the, the, the curse of sin is lifted. The lion will lay with the lamb and children will play with the adder and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, the young lion. It, it, it's just going to be a time when everything is set right. But for now, we eagerly await. And we see these groanings and these moanings as, as birth pangs. As birth pangs uh, unto life. Isn't that interesting that they're birth pangs and not death pangs? And Jesus talks about birth pangs in Matthew 24, doesn't he? When he talks about 
earthquakes and pestilence and when he talks about wars and rumors of war and, and, and nations shall rise up against nation. And boy, sound familiar, right? With the intensity that we see the birth pangs taking place. Because here's the thing. When Jesus was talking about that, he said too, when you see these things, these birth pangs, right? Look up for your redemption draws nigh. These birth pangs, they're, they're going to happen. These, these events with greater frequency and greater intensity, just like when a woman travails in labor. Labor pangs, they're not just like consistent. You don't start off with, with, I don't even know what labor is, like, you know, 10 minutes apart for one minute or something. I don't know. They change, though. They get closer together, and they get way more intense. And that really is what we are seeing currently. We see the things, the way they're going down in the Middle East with Israel and with Hamas and just the propaganda that's being believed. I'm sure you guys have seen the whole situation with the hospital that was supposedly bombed by Israel that turns out wasn't bombed by Israel, but that it was a defective rocket from the Hamas side, somebody who supports Hamas that was aimed at Israel, that actually didn't hit the hospital, it hit the hospital parking lot. And yet we have, you know, standing, sitting, you know, congressmen and women in the United States who are sticking by that. And I used to think, boy, how is it that, you know, in the end we know that the world will be turned against Israel? How in our present age, with all that we know and all the technology, will all the world be turned against Israel? Propaganda is a powerful thing. You think about AI and how that plays into it. Let alone the way that we're dealing with currency and rushing towards a digital currency throughout the world and how the mark of the beast is going. It's like all of these things that weren't even possible. And now with this conflict, the way that the world is, the world has so much at stake. There are so many proxy wars that are taking place. Iran with Hamas. We are supporting Ukraine. Uh, China is supporting, uh, you know, it, it's just this crazy thing. Everybody has got their hands in, in the pot one way or another. And these birth pangs, they, they're not death pangs. They're birthing something, and that's what Paul's saying. Man, we can be looking forward to the kingdom. We'd be looking forward to uh, the Lord with that expectation. Not only does creation moan, but we have that longing. We have that expectation personally. Not just creation collectively, but for us personally. This present uh, uh, season of suffering that we're in in this world where we deal with sickness, where we deal with hardship, man, it only causes us to long for Jesus all the more. When I get bogged down with this world, it reminds me to look up. It reminds me to trust Jesus. The expectation gives me strength to endure. We have that hope that Paul talks about. And again, the hope in the Bible is not just this, this hope like the world has. So, oh man, I hope things work out. I hope my team wins. I hope the girl says yes. No, hope in the Bible is the absolute assurance of coming good. Oh, the groaning that we experience. That the, we look forward with the absolute expectation of coming good to a future glory that we have because we are adopted into the family of God because of what Jesus did for us, that we might persevere even in the midst of this current battle that we're in. Paul says, persevere. There's a song that we sing and there's a verse that I want to read because it so fits that idea that we would persevere in the midst of this current battle that we would keep our eyes on the prize. Uh, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, 
My shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. What an amazing thing that is. Uh, that, we can, that we can persevere. And it's not us. We persevere because we have that expectation of glory. Persevere because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and even in our groanings, even when life has us so mowed over that we don't even know what to say, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, intercedes for us. Even when I just can't, the Holy Spirit intercedes, prays for us. There's those that would say this is a reference to speaking tongues. It might be. Very well could be. It puts it in a very good place. But just know that the Holy Spirit, by his power, it's going to see us through. And that's what Paul is getting at. And I know we went quick and I know we went long, but there's so much for us to cover. But it is all good. And so scaling back and looking at what we covered tonight, just practically, what an encouragement. There's no condemnation for us because we're in Christ. We're in Christ because of what he did on the cross. That we've been adopted into that family. That, 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 that although this life is difficult, man, as we suffer, we suffer with Jesus. And we look forward to the hope of heaven. We know that through the suffering, he's going to bring about good. And that's the next verse. That's what he says. That all things work together for good. That's what we covered last week. And so, man, be encouraged. Be encouraged. The burden has been lifted. And God is so good to us. We have heaven to look forward to. And it's not in our own strength that we accomplish anything. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And we're free to walk out the Spirit-filled life. To not be carnally minded, not to be obsessed with our carnal, but to be led by the Spirit of God. Man, what a wonderful thing that is. Be encouraged tonight as you walk out this life. God has a plan. He loves you. He's going to see you through. And there's glory on the other side of the suffering. So Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the truth that, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in you that we're hidden in you, we're robed in your righteousness, that when you look down and see us, you don't see our sin, Lord, but you see the perfect son. You see Jesus who lived the perfect life. You see his righteousness, Lord. Lord, thank you so much that we have been adopted into your family, that we belong to you with all the benefits that come along with that, with the inheritance that you've promised us. Thank you for the promise that, that, that you gave to us through Paul, that, that although for a season we go through this difficulty, that the glory to come is so beyond compare. Uh, what we go through now, it pales in comparison to what we'll experience in heaven. And I pray, Lord, that as we just deal with the, the current world that we're in, as we see the birth pangs, as the world groans, as we experience the groaning in our own life, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on the prize, that that groaning would, would stir in us, would cultivate in us a longing, and that that longing would stir in us that expectation, which would stir in us, Lord, just a, a joy and a perseverance. Lord, as we leave this place and head out our way, Lord, help us to, to live that life led by the Spirit, uh, a life that's, that's filled with, with joy and peace, Lord, that we wouldn't get sucked into the trap of, of being carnally minded, Lord, but that we would experience just the joy of living the Spirit-filled life that you have made possible by the cross. 
We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask that you'd bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.